Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. A very good Wednesday morning, I think it is. I've kind of lost track. Um, uh, Mike McNamara with you. I'm joined uh, by Tim Lynch in Texas. Tim, how are you? Doing just fine, Mac. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, in your old stomping grounds. Uh, Going to head up to Annapolis tomorrow in D.C. today. Cool. Uh, and uh, Will Cosettini joins us from uh, the Kansas City area. Will, how are you? All's well. All right. And Jeff Kenny from Southern California. Jeffrey, how are you? Good. Thanks. All right. Um, in our kind of, uh, I don't know what we call it, a little bit of an ops intel Open source ops until look, and, and honestly, what we try to do when we do this is do more explaining than anything else. Maybe frame some stuff that uh, if you've never been a part of, uh, you, you know, you, you, you watch the news and, and, you know, you take it at face value. And I think uh, people here have experiences that I think can help put this in a different, little bit different light. And so uh, to me, he's uh, kind of our intel guy. And uh, and so, Tim, let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's gone on uh, in the last twenty four hours uh, relative to the nation. There's been a couple of uh, interesting developments, and uh, let's go let's go ahead and talk about those. Well, uh, since we've last talked, um, the 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 interesting movement has been in Kabul. And by that, what I mean is we have a piece, uh, a series of negotiators from the former Kabul governor government to include Hamid Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah, and more importantly, uh, Gulabuddin Hekmatyar, who was uh, who recently came into the cold from the Taliban, a very implacable foe for many, many years. They're going to go deal uh, or talk with the Taliban and try to come to some type of agreement with the Taliban. Um, um, in uh, Doha, they have left behind, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, Mullah Baradar, who is a very senior uh, uh, spokesman. He, when Mullah Omar fled Kandahar in 2001 from the Americans and, and Hamid Karzai's uh, uh, militia, uh, uh, Baradar was with him. And, and we, uh, we looked for him for a long time, never found him. Uh, Pakistanis had arrested him. Um, in 2010, they let him go. At, I arrested him in 2010, let him go at our assistance, and he's been the head negotiator, and he still remains in Kabul, where he's holding press conferences. Um, to date, the only additional information that we have about any type of violence was the Taliban did, in fact, uh, execute one person, but he was the head of, uh, of ISIS. He was an ISIS character uh, in the Pulisharki prison. And they marched him out and shot him. So uh, I, I'm not thinking anybody's going to be too upset about that. And finally, the only thing else that is of significance is the Taliban continues to go door to door to collect information to look for people who were working for or with the Americans in the government, et cetera. But to date, nothing has come of it. They search phones. They look for people with English letters and whatnot. But to date, nothing has come of it other than they may seem to be taking copious notes on these individuals. All right, Will, Jeff, uh, thoughts on any of that? Questions, comments? Yeah, I got a question for Tim. Uh, question for Tim. Tim um, apparently, there's thousands of Americans who are outside Taliban cord or cordon they have around the airport. Do you 
have like an estimate of how many that is? I don't. I I don't think it's thousands. I I just don't think there were that many there. I will tell you right now. I know of two American citizens that are that tried to get into the airport today and were denied. And and these two citizens are three and four years old. They're the the son and daughter of one of my interpreters who he allowed to go back to Kabul with their mother because they didn't know this was going to happen because somebody in the family was sick. They're trapped. And I think that when you start talking about U.S. citizens, there's more people like that. Afghans who have been here have U.S. citizens, have children. Those two children speak nothing but English. So that's a very unfortunate situation that they're in. But I, I, when they say thousands, they're not talking about people like myself, uh, um, uh, American citizens who are, I, I think they're talking more Afghans who um, have U.S. citizenship and are back. And I don't think there's thousands of them. I, I just think journalists? that's over. What about journalists? Like I can, I, uh, I, our, our guy, Franz Marty, went to ground with the Russians. He said he's fine. The, uh, the only other people uh, I know in there that are American like Anglos is one CNN and one NBC news reporter. Everybody else is an Afghan stringer. And uh, I don't, I, I can't speak to that. I don't know what they're going to do with that. If you look at your New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all the major reporting, there's always Afghan people at the end of those articles that contributed to those because they're the guys that went places and found things out. What they do with them and what status they have, I have no idea. I don't believe yeah. they're U.S. citizens. Yeah, I, I think that nobody, well, it would be difficult to calculate the number of American citizens because of the relationship that Tim describes. You know, and the average American thinks of an American citizen over there. They think someone that was from Columbus, Ohio, uh, that grew up there and for some reason in Afghanistan. There's almost no one like that. It's people that have familial relationships, children that were born here, people that came here to go to college in the last 20 years that had kids. Right. All those people are carrying passports. Uh, I have no idea how the database works for visas. Uh, so I think the number is unknown. Could it be 20,000? Um, I just got to tell you, there I was in Sierra Leone. You'd think it's sort of on the edge of the earth. Why would there be any Americans here in this oh, you're right. cesspool of a place that has no relationship with the U.S. as opposed to Liberia. You know, Sierra Leone yeah. didn't have that. And there were still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Americans there yeah. that the embassy didn't know. Right. They hadn't been registered or anything like that. So right. the idea that there could be 20,000, it sure seems like a lot. Yeah. But it, it's it's more than a thousand. That's for yeah. damn sure. Okay. The Reuters story uh, today, uh, and, and Reuters, internationally reputable organization. I'll read you a couple paragraphs of, of something I sent everybody. Um, President Joe Biden's pledge to evacuate thousands more at-risk Afghans who work for the U.S. government will run into the cold reality of a fast-closing window of time, insecurity all over Afghanistan, and major logistical hurdles. As one U.S. official to- told Reuters, quote, too many things have to go 100% correctly, unquote, close quote, to execute the plan to move out 
those going through the special immigrate visa SIV process. The Pentagon is aiming to evacuate 22,000 SIV applicants, their families, and others at risk. Now, that would be in addition to any U.S. citizens, and I think Will Point's well made in terms of, you know, you don't think there's anybody from Columbus, Ohio there, and that was in Sierra Leone. Well, what the hell's in Afghanistan? And so, uh, again, I mean, somebody's got to have maybe some idea what that number is. Uh, But, uh, again, I think that everything you've heard, you know, Jeff and Will talk about from their experiences is that number is always bigger than you estimate it. And and so, and again, this this closing closing window. Um, How about... uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, you guys have have kept up on the news throughout the day. I, I check Twitter as I kind of move have moved around D.C. a little bit um, today. What um, any thoughts on the operations side of this? Will um, things that you've seen anything break squelch for you today? Uh, I, I would just say in that Reuters article, the one thing I saw interesting is that someone put a planning figure out there that they think they can take five to 9,000 people a day. Um, so the biggest, newest 747s carry 467 people. So call it 500. So that means to do 5,000 people, you're doing 10. So you're doing 10 to 20 fully packed, brand new 747s a day. That seems like best case plan to me. Um, yeah. to process 9,000 people to put them on an airplane. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that seems a little bit optimistic. And, you know, Mac, you said something that reminded me when we used to do the uh, MUSOC training and you'd always do a little NEO module. And I think the planning figure that we used to use, and maybe Jeff, you might remember something like this was, Whatever the State Department tells you, multiply by three to five. Yeah. And right. that'll give you the number. So, yeah. yeah, I saw no, nothing that newsworthy, no video, nothing that, that gave me any greater sense of what's going on than anything from yesterday. I, I, yeah. l- I, l- I, let me just make one point, Jeff, and then you hop in there. But the one data point that I did see was what there was a German. Lufthansa 747 that left with eight people on it. Right, I heard that. I saw yeah. I saw that data point, which tells you that it's. I don't know how that I don't know how that happens. The, the, uh, uh, I the, do. I know how it happens. It's easy. Lufthansa, where are they going to fly to? What landing rights do they have? Uh, does Lufthansa want to be on the hook for carrying people in that are going to get rejected at the port of entry? So then they got to bring them back. If Lufthansa Corporation has got no guarantee, if there's no government that's guaranteed to house, feed, clothe, etc., Lufthansa is a corporation. No fucking way they're going to allow those people on their airplane. Yeah, but uh, but, but again, I think I th- in, the, in this emergency thing that we're doing, again, I, again, these are just my assumptions. And and well, I. I you're probably right, but I mean, how could that? How could that aircraft not be going to Manas or some other place that we've negotiated with to offload at a refugee site that then further process processes people 
And then, you know, I, I, I just, to me, that's, Matt, that sounds ridiculous. Matt, what have you seen in the last three days? Yeah, I'm no. You would think this is a well-oiled machine. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, think well, about that. Well, that isn't even well-oiled. That's President just at Biden, least the basics. Biden has not spoken to any has not spoken to any rural leaders since this thing started. And he should be working the phones for just that issue you talked about, Mac. They're saying, hey, look, we need you guys to kind of like help with, uh, some of these places that you know may have to land. I mean, we don't want to, you know, we need, you know, we're kind of like in a bad situation. And apparently neither the State Department nor the White House have been doing that. I mean, uh, maybe it's false report or maybe it's like faulty reporting, but isn't that what we've been hearing? So it's like uh, this thing is has not been well prepared. It seems at best, and uh, and the payment of this is uh, so many different issues that we're bringing up, and those are two of the most important ones you guys just talked about. What yeah. what's the uh, what's the terminus? You know what permissions? What, how much legwork has already been done? And if it hasn't been done. Is it being done now? That's the thing. Hey guys. If, well, if I could just add, well, hold on. Add Je- Jeff was going to make a comment before he jumped in on that. So, Jeff, did you have a thought that you wanted to interject on on the op side of this? That anything you've seen today? Um, any, anything I've seen today? Uh, no, I have to tell you, I, uh, I, I just um, no. I mean, not nothing that hasn't been already mentioned right now. Got it. All right, Tim. So let Timmy go. Yeah, I, I don't understand what happened with that Lufthansa plane, but Lufthansa owns the Afghan airlines. They train all the Afghan pilots. There's a very close relationship. There's there is a bajillion Afghans in Germany. They're always there. Apparently, it has been for the last 20 years. So I, I don't know what was going on with that with that thing leaving half empty. But it's not that Lufthansa has a very close association relationship with the Afghan airlines and, and for, for what that is worth. The the only additional thing I saw that broke squelch with me was a Wall Street Journal report that the administration held up a shipment of uh, of uh, pallets of hundred dollar bills to the Kabul Bank last week, and they have frozen all accounts uh, in international monetary accounts that they can get access to, which is billions of dollars apparently uh, from the, uh, from the Taliban. This is money which the Taliban or Afghanistan had. There's some kind of gigantic in the international monetary fund, some gigantic amount of money that's that's designated for them. And this is currently not being able to be accessed by the Afghans. Got it. All right. Um, we talked about observations. Um, any other any other comments? Well, um, this thing is now going. I mean, you would think as it as I, the Lufthansa report was disturbing for me because um, you would expect, in fact, um, that look if we've got a platform there, we're going to make sure this thing's loaded because we only have so much time to do this. The fact that either Lufthansa is operating its own commercial endeavor here and we don't have it as part of a greater plan so that we can load it they can offload some packs in manas and take whoever else that you know the germans have blessed you know into you know you know into germany i mean that's fine but it it just looks to me it 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 looks like this thing isn't wired together and which is at that level that's a pretty base in my opinion that's a basic level you know yeah. wh- where are we going to take these people to right get them there 
right? Once we get them there, we'll process, you know, we have people there, you know, medical people, you know, we'll process them there. The majority are going to stay there and we'll figure that shit out. And then some will proceed on. And if if we don't even have that in place, you know, uh, it does not bode well for the the rest of the operation. You know, if you think about it as well, is that so these places perhaps that we want to bring people to Gulf States, Manas, um, the, the reality of the world is now they're dealing with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Right. Right. No, you're right. So, so their desire to please the U S and the, whatever the international community is, it runs right up against their calculation of what kind of relationships do I want to have uh, with these people that are now in charge in Afghanistan. And, uh, and, and I think people discount, you, you know, these things. Um, uh, making international agreements, but then also what, what happens in, in uh, Doha or in Dubai or in Oman if we start flying and all of a sudden it turns into two, three, four thousand people. And we say, well, they're just there for a lily pad for a couple of days, and then we're going to bring them. Well, where are we going to bring them? You can see the, yeah. the news today. The U.S. has not come out and said, well, everyone's welcome here. So yeah. do you want to be in Dubai and have 4,000 people living in your airport? It, 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 it seems like, oh, it's a humanitarian thing to do. But, oh, get over it. You know, yeah. things cost money. You've got your own population to deal with. Those are complicated things. You know, we've been we've been lucky in some things previously. I mean, Vietnamese boat people, uh, the ones that got to the ship, you know, we had bases and facilities in the Far East that we owned and we could do whatever the hell we wanted. Uh, when we were dealing with Cuban and Haitian migrants, we owned Gitmo. We could pe- put people there. When I did the evacuation in Sierra Leone, uh, we didn't own anything there, but somehow we got an agreement with Conakry, Guinea, and I'm sure that we paid them a ton of money. Yeah. Sure the same sort of thing happened with Liberia. And well, Liberia, people, yeah, you're right, Will. Liberia, our our little pad was Sri Lanka. That's where we know people. Not Sri Lanka. Yeah, you're right. Send Sierra Leone, I think, not Sri Lanka. But, you know, that kind uh, of stuff. Sorry. That's our Sierra Leone. Those places were very close in Africa. Um, Hilo flight onto the ship, Hilo flight over to Conakry kind of thing. This is much bigger, much more complicated. uh, And, you know, the Taliban have not proven themselves to be stand-up international actors. So I'm not sure if I'm the emir of uh, the Emirates that I want to get on the wrong side of these guys by all of a sudden I'm hosting people that used to be in the government that the Taliban want back. You know, it's, 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 those are challenging things that takes a very strong diplomatic military effort. That's a little carrot, a little stick and other things that it doesn't appear. um, It, there's no reason right. to think that that's in place. 
right now. Perhaps it is. Can I? Yeah. Can I tell you something? I thought when Bagram got closed down before Bagram got closed down, I thought what would happen would be we'd fly in a bunch of guys and have a couple of different sites that we evacuate people from, like Jalalabad, like Kabul, like Bagram itself. And uh, there'd be helos going and picking people up from smaller places, bringing them to there, putting them on aircraft, and they'd fly away. When Bagram got closed, I remember thinking, well, this is, I mean, how are they going to do this? And then I thought, and the president made that fucking speech where he said, or he answered that question where he said, you know, the Afghan security forces can do this. And I thought, because we've been talking about deals. Deals have been made, business deals, things that have already been agreed upon. That's obviously true to a large extent in regards to the abnegation of the, you know, the security stuff by the Afghan army. But I just assumed that, uh, you know, that it was, this was like agreed upon, but apparently no, it's not. They had no idea the Taliban was going to be, was going to show up in such numbers in Kabul at the fucking airport itself, you know, coordinate it off. So now, I mean, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, you know, I really don't know. Um, this thing just can't happen on the fly without it, without it really being dangerous. And I really think that there's a huge danger in there now from a lot of different things that could happen. And the first danger is there's no good planning behind this. It's jumping through your ass. Timmy, you uh, you were going to make a point. Um Whatever point I was going to make is lost to me now as I listen to Jeff's eloquent uh, expression of, of where we're at. I, I think the only observation I have to make is on the delegation going uh, uh, to Doha, and that is people that stayed. That's Hamid Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah. Remember now, Abdullah Abdullah has been cheated out of the presidential seat for three elections in a row. I mean, legitimately cheated of his chance. So he doesn't like America at all, I'm sure. Hamid Karzai despises us because he never was able to get us to stop doing the the, uh, the night raids. And, of course, we had uh, a lot of, uh, uh, of hitting of wrong target issues well into 2011, 2012. And so he's very sour against America. These guys represent Afghans. I mean, these guys are legitimate, have, I think, legitimate credibility to the uh, t- Taliban uh, representing the Afghans. They didn't run. I like that. I don't know what they can do because whatever they get from the Taliban, it's what the Taliban choose to give them. Possibly it could be access to that money. That would be a reason to make a deal with these people. But if that happens, maybe things aren't that bad after all. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's really foggy, man. Foggy. It's foggy, foggy, Bill. Yeah, but nobody's said, fighting. But nobody's fighting. And one, that one, is one weird. More, one more thing comes to mind is that if you're the Taliban – and uh, the U.S. Treasury has closed off your access to the international financial system. You got, got billions. Yeah, you've got the only leverage you have is while you still got Americans there. Mm-hmm. So that could be that could be the high level thought process that's going on that may All slow right. this thing down. And uh, you know, the U.S. has said. Uh, we're going to have everyone out of there, but I think August 30th and the Taliban has said you're going to have everyone out of here by August 30th. So we may be in a little game of chicken here uh, to see who's willing to cut that deal. And and for all the vitriol that 
that politically both sides of the aisle in the United States have poured on the Taliban, uh, I don't think the administration is going to want to cut a deal with them that comes out and says, yeah, we, we gave them billions and billions of dollars so they'll let our people go even though they're heathens. You know, it, it, this is not a good spot to be in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you look at whether it be Karzai and Abdullah, Abdullah going to Doha, you know, they have no leverage. They have none. Yeah. I mean, I mean, whatever they, whatever they they get, whatever bone they get thrown, um, will be at the magnanimous, self-serving, right, um, um, leisure of the Taliban. So it'll be self-serving, and but they have absolutely no leverage. I, you know, I, Glenn Greenwald, who who's a liberal, um, wrote a piece the other day, and he talked about. American uh, surveillance of Afghanistan and that we essentially listened to and recorded or had the capability to listen to and record every uh, satellite and cell conversation that took place in the country. One of the things that Edward Snowden revealed and uh, but but did not get disclosed when that information was leaked because that was redacted. Anyway, um, so he made the point that the assertion that the United States didn't know what was going on cannot be true because we listened to everything. The New York Times, the New York Times wrote uh, there was a piece today, and again, I, I view this as data, just as data points, and and um, I don't get in. I try not to get into agendas that the American intelligence community had been warning Washington D.C., the State Department, and the Pentagon that this thing was going to go faster than everybody thought. And so uh, I remember when the Bagram thing happened, we were talking about that. We had a big conversation that if the Neo happens, where the hell are you going to do it from? Exactly. From this small airfield that we don't, is going to be very difficult to secure, blah, blah, blah. So to me, when you, when you think about this, I mean, if, 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 if Greenwald, or the New York Times sources are even close to being right, it becomes even a greater head-scratcher that if you have any indication that this is going on, all right, then we're going to slow roll the turnover of Bagram because, shit, we might need it, boys and girls, because if we give that away, what are we going to do? Try to run the whole thing out of Kabul International, which is what we're doing. And so it, it becomes even a greater head scratcher. So for the- Matt, I would I would only say one thing to that is that what Greenwald says might very well be accurate and what the Times is reporting might be accurate. But there is an agenda. Right. No, and no, no, no. This I- is part of the inside the Beltway firing squad circular. No one wants to be the one. Right. Here. And th- but, but again, the, the interesting the interesting part is if if they had an agenda, you would think it would be right. It would be to support the president. No, 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 no. There's people inside that administration right now that don't want to be the fall guy. Starting, oh, yeah. Starting with the vice president. Right. Oh, she said she was there, the last person in the room, and he made the and, decision and, to ignore the military. That's how stupid she is. But but I'm just saying. Right. No, no. And again, I I don't. I I look again. 
yeah. I look at it as data points, and and I'm I'm not so much going as hopefully everybody sees it to the political way as much as if any of that is is true, and I'm certain elements of both are. It makes the Bagram decision even more of a head scratcher. That if this is yes. at all part yes. of our discussions, yes. as we, if this it's all part of the discussion as we begin to OPT the eventuality, and you know, an old you know Intel specialist Kenny over there keeps putting his hand up and say, "Hey, but what I keep hearing is this is going to happen sooner." You know, if and he's the guy that kept saying in two thousand four, five, and six, "I'm not an Ivy League college person." But I did go to community college, and I did take, you know, the history of Asia Minor. You know, I never actually completed it. I dropped out of it. But we studied Afghan for a grand total of t- Afghanistan for a grand total of 20 minutes. And does everybody understand that what we're trying to create there has never existed on the planet? Like, oh, oh yeah, I remember that asshole, right? Yeah. I, well, he's at I it again. It. And, and so, I, I again, my point is that it's, um, I don't know. Well, just to point of fact. Afghanistan is not in Asia Minor. It's in Asia Major, but go on. You're doing good, man. Hey, Matt, the other thing is with Greenwald, so I just do a survey of you three. How many cell phones are there in Afghanistan? Holy fuck, man. Yeah, it's 100 uh, million. Yeah, every Afghan has three that I know. So there's there's 25 million people. Let's just say there's 10 million cell phones. Let's say there's, oh, there's more than that. More I'm than just that. saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Think about it, though. Greenwald says, "Well, because we have the capability to listen to everyone, then our intelligence should be all knowing." No, that's yeah. That's that's a think false about argument. It. If you got a million cell phones that click off ten times a day, that's ten million hits that you're yeah. getting. So that <laughs> is a very false premise. That our intel can be all knowing and all seeing. No, no, that, 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 but that wasn't the premise, though. It was giving the scope of our collection capabilities, that yes. and 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 how quickly this happened. That it's inconceivable that they didn't have indications yeah. and warning that it was it was out there. I, and, yeah, I mean, and I don't and I don't think I don't think that's he's a reach. On, he's on a TV show that's got a time limit, but uh, the truth is, you know, the, the people are listening. They're listening to cell phones of Bardor's people, right. of Abdul right. Abdullah's people. Right. You know, it's targeted. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's there's a there'd be some indication probably. You know, because uh, <laughs> of that. yeah. Hey, can I add something? We know from Franz Marty's reporting that on Thursday he'd been about 80 miles into eastern Afghanistan on the main roads. He said everything was normal. Less than 24 hours, the Taliban owned it. You can't do that without some degree of serious coordination. I mean, clearly. Clearly, this is, this wasn't an act of nature. It wouldn't. It didn't just happen. So there had to be some kinds of indicators brewing for that type of a complete collapse of what four four provinces. Well, in, and, and again, overnight? my point. You're, you're absolutely right, Tim. I mean, who's the minister of defense? Abdullah Abdullah, the most fucked over guy in Afghanistan. And uh, who's he got a hard on for besides you know Ahmed Karzai for sure, but also for Ghani. And um, so. You know, uh, Ghani, or you know, Ghani gets, uh, you know, his military just folds up on him like a fucking old newspaper, you know, overnight, and the, there's no indication of it. Meanwhile, one of the people they're talking to is the Minister of Defense himself, right. who doesn't appear to be, you know, he's not on his way to a hanging party. He's on his way to, to Doha to talk Turkey. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Yeah, it's like it, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying, you know, we don't know. And uh, so you look at who qui bono, as they say in Latin, right? Who benefits from shit? You know what I mean, right, right. And again, but my was it quick? My point is just is that one would think there would, you know, something this dramatic. There would have been indications and warnings, yeah. which makes the Bagram decision even more of a head scratcher. You know, so you think maybe somebody said, hey. You know, uh, National Command Authority, we think this shit is going to fold up early, like right now. Well, we've taken what you say under consideration, and we don't agree. Well, that's what but, we're saying okay. we think happened. I mean, yeah. But, but I the, think. the thing was, is we were kind of alarmed. It, it, it was almost like you had we had to tamp it down because you didn't want to sound like a chicken little. Right. But but I, I, I was, we all of us were like, what the hell are you doing this? I mean, this is yeah. crazy. And I remember, I believe I said at the time, this is crazy and it's going to hurt you yeah. on the way out. And which was obvious to everybody that, I mean, it took us like five minutes to figure this all out. Well, and, even and but, we're, not, and, we're, not, we're, not, we're rusty. We used to I, would, I would tell you that even, even if it's not obvious, but if it's in the realm of possibilities, we owe it to ourselves, right, to keep some capability at Bogram so we have it as an option. I mean, I, that's just prudent planning, right? Without que- it's without question. Right. Yeah. No, head scratcher. All right, final final comments. Uh, Tim, final comment? Well, thank God that uh, Central Asians aren't known for seizing hostages and using them because that, oh. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I got that one. Uh, yeah. I'm 180 out on that. No, I, I, what, what Will mentioned is something we all of us should be praying that, sure. that we avoid. And if we avoid it, it's because the Taliban let us avoid it. We're not dictating this, this, this situation here. We are in a complete reactionary mode, and I hate that. Well, it's and again, I was asking about the people who are outside the cordon at the first part of this thing. That's what right. I was right. getting at. Right. Yeah, we we don't we don't and, and and like I said, there's there's a woman with two little children with American passports, and she couldn't get through today. But the Taliban were not molesting her. To, that last I heard. And and you know, so the question. Um, what makes this make sense, right? As Will said, we've now, you know, we stopped money from, you know, cash money from going into Afghanistan. Now we're going to use American financial, you know, power against the Taliban while we have somewhere between four and 6,000, you know, military people in Kabul. That's relatively precarious. And, if, oh, yeah. and, and if they don't, if they don't yoke some of them up, the question is why? Who got paid? Why? How much did they get paid? And why did that happen? Because it just doesn't happen like that, and we all know that. Will, uh, final comment? Yeah, I, I would say I am very unworried about the uniforms that we got in there. I, I don't. Uh, they'll have no problem taking care of any external threat. I would say, you know, the logisticians are going crazy right now because for every guy you put in there, you got to calculate how many pounds of supply that you got to bring in, uh, how you Sitters and eaters. Yeah, radio batteries, uh, food, water. Marines get sick when they're there. People get hurt. They're, and the longer we do it, the more of that stuff goes on. And that's, that's going to be a behind-the-scenes seen thing that we should be actually very good at after the last 20 years but that's going to that's going to chew up a lot of commanders attention uh, out there and don't forget we put 6,000 people on the ground 
how many of those people are actually on duty at this time? You know, take 20% out for headquarters, you got 5,000. You put a third of them on the line, a third of them in QRF, and a third of them resting. You got 1,500 people executing the mission. It, it seems like a lot, but man, 1,500 people, it's a big airfield if you got to secure the whole thing. Yeah, so, divided by three for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, that's what I'm thinking about now. And there's no, there's no briefing on it. There's no, there hadn't even been any reporting that you can discount. So just, it's one of those things that, as a former battalion operations officer, you just think about that stuff, and it complicates your life. Joe, right. final comment, Joe. Yeah, my thought is what what was brought up, and what I also read, uh, you know, and uh, I can't remember which newspaper it was is a European one. The uh, the thing going on in the Panjshir Valley, the uh, the the new Northern Alliance or whatever that is, and the fact that uh, I think I was talking to Will about this. But uh, apparently, uh, Masood's son is involved in this. Um, you know, so I don't know if Timmy knows more about that. But uh, that's uh, also, there's like an enclave of Hazaras in central Afghanistan. I'm interested in those places that the Afghans, the, uh, the Taliban doesn't seem to have control over. And what's going to happen there? You know what I mean? Will there be fighting? Will there be, you know, will there be an... Because we both, we all talk about this, you know, the resurgence of the North, Northern Alliance. And I have to tell you, I think a lot of this big takeover is because of a lot of uh, a lot of men in Afghanistan just weren't liking what the United States was selling them for the last 20 years. And, and that's a huge part of this. Um, on the other hand, they don't like, you know, the fucking Tajiks don't like the Pashtuns and vice versa. And the Hazaras don't trust anybody. And why should they? So that's we're still talking Afghanistan here. Those are big issues, you know. And again, as uh, as history has it, right, as soon as the common enemy leaves, they will revert to what they have been to their own historical relationships. And we all saw that in Iraq. Right. Once. Right. Once you take that governor off, they will quite naturally get after each other. Um, Yeah, I I would tell you that um, Will's comment about the finance financial piece and um uh makes me nervous because the one thing that that we've seen you know since beirut has been um the ability of irregular formations other state actors and whatnot to think outside the box and to do something that we don't anticipate that then puts us in a position um where we are you know we're essentially helpless as they have people and, and we're forced to deal with them. So, um, to me, the finance piece concerns me. I mean, Hey, it's a few billion dollars. Give it to them. If they're being, uh, for whatever reason, they're allowing this non-combatant evacuation operation to proceed when they could shut it down anytime they want to. Um, if the cost is a few billion dollars in cash, right? Tell everybody to act stupid and uh, and let it go. And as much as that might <laughs> piss you off, because their ability, right, uh, to to make life living hell, to drag us through the streets, even more than we're going to be drugged through the street, should not be underestimated. Should not be underestimated. Their wherewithal, their determination, is something everybody could learn from. And as much as we might not like it, 
uh, the one thing you have to respect is, you know, the Russians went in there and they limped out. The United States went in there and we're we're limping out too with without achieving the things that we said that we were all about. And it's it's particularly painful when you begin to re- watch the uh the parade of video that gets thrown and uh, uh we need to stop underestimating people like this and take Will's um observations to heart and be very very careful uh when you start playing fuck fuck games with the Taliban because they're nobody to be fucked with as they've proven to us not only at the negotiating table but also on the battlefield they can take the best blows that we've thrown at them for a couple decades and still be around to fight and at the end of the day um claim victory so um so that 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 worries me so anyway um anything anything left guys um thank you very much for doing this appreciate it Thank you for listening on Wednesday. I'm Mike McNamara, and uh, I'm kind of in the expeditionary mode as my number two son, Patrick, gets ready to get married this week. And I appreciate Will and Tim and Jeff's flexibility in doing this. So uh, have a great day. We'll be back with uh, more observations of the events that are unfolding in Afghanistan in particular at the Kabul International Airport and try to explain some stuff as we normally try to do, give some thoughts on other stuff uh, that will certainly lead to uh, somewhere down the road a pretty interesting discussion uh, about our leadership, about choices that were made, and the sacrifice of American treasure over the course of two decades that certainly now seems like a complete waste. So, on that note, we'll get to that at some point. Have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, and I'm out.